As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We have something extra special and a little bit unexpected for you. As part of the Plymouth Festival of Words, James and I recorded our first ever Histories of the Unexpected Live, and you can now download it on iTunes for just 99p at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected live. If you download it, you will hear about the history of signatures, which of course is all about the reign of Henry VIII, forgery and rebellion. You'll also hear about the history of clocks, which is about the Industrial Revolution, and how could we forget it, the history of the Reformation. Everything's about the Reformation with you. And it's also, of course, about nuclear weapons and the Titanic. Of course it is. So everybody, go to iTunes today and download our special Histories of the Unexpected Live, or go to historyhit.com forward slash unexpected live. This is Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis. And he's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. And we are your hosts for Histories of the Unexpected. Each week we discuss a surprising subject oozing with unexpected historical significance. And this week, it's The Ring. Which is all about the history of pugilism, trade wars, love and the marketing of romance. And archery. And archery. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and tell all of your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. And you can follow Histories of the Unexpected on Unexpected Pod. We are proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other great shows. And you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips, photos of everything we discuss, and much, much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Unexpected. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 37, or at least we think it's 37, of Histories of the Unexpected, where we will be audio googling through history, exploring the histories of things you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like the history of dogs, frames, and vests. Vests. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for vests. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how everything, simply everything, has a history, and crucially, how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of the bookcase, the history of the bookcase, we are in a room crammed with Billy bookcases. Who knew that that was all about the world of knowledge, about power, and about chained books? Oh, and secret doors. Mm, very good. The man sitting opposite me is the entertainer of the Enlightenment. He's Professor James Daybell. And the man sitting opposite me is the Elvis of events. It is the very <laughs> wonderful Dr. Sam Willis. Uh-huh. Uh, together, we will be piloting you on this uncharted and frankly highly dangerous flight into the past. Each week, one of us takes the lead, and this week, it's my turn. So, Sam, what have you got for us this week? Um, well, I've got something that was inspired by something I read on a notice board last week. It's the history of rings. The history of rings. Yeah. Ooh. So, check this out. Um, I was at a golf club, and we're doing a family kind of golf competition. Which I won. I just wanted to say. Uh, anyway, there was, I didn't know that. There was um, this note on on the notice board. And it was one of the saddest notes I'd ever seen. Lost somewhere between the third and seventh tee, an emerald and diamond ring. Oh, if found, God, please return worst to Cynthia. Nightmare and, oh, losing a ring like that. I know. That valuable. Yes, it made me slightly kind of sweat. It was awful. Did you find it? Um, no, but my, Did you kids, my kids wanted to go out and go and find this ring so they could sell it on eBay. Um, no, it's obviously... Um, uh, You're training them well. I am training them well. The, um, the, 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 sort of the, the, the emotional importance of this ring, the value of the ring, really got me thinking about things, and also about found rings, about discovered rings, because if you, are, if you work as a historian and archaeologist, you come across rings a lot. Yeah. Um, Particularly with my work through um, the discovery of shipwrecks, which I'll talk about later. And yeah. I, I, this idea of, of finding a ring and then trying to sort of piece together the, the history of it or work out what it can tell you mm. was really interesting. Do you wear a ring? I do. I wear a, a wedding ring quite consciously. My father didn't have a wedding ring, but he and later in life got a signet ring. Right. Was given it as a as a birthday present and wore it. And um, but no, no, it was a very conscious choice. I think it, it's very important as a sort of symbolism of a. You know, of a, of a ceremony and a, and a relationship. Yeah. Um, to display that. Yeah. Um, uh, so I wear a so I'm very ring. proud of it. I've got my, mine has my initials on it. Um, got a little S and a W oh. there. Is um, that a family tradition? Yeah. So my dad had one. Um, uh, his father had one. His father had one. Um, so all of the Willis men had it. And then my sister, um, had a bit of a fit when she realised she wasn't going to get one, so she's got one as well. Um, but I that but, I can believe, yeah, yeah. Um, because I wear on my little finger of my left hand. I don't wear a wedding ring because then I'd have two rings together two rings and they'd clinking. kind of bash yeah. into each other and, and and clink. So um, does your wife wear a wedding ring? Yes, yes, yeah. an engagement ring as yeah. well. So um, rings, rings. They have a fascinating and long, really long history. Um, yeah, if you think about it archaeologically, you can trace them back to you know ancient civilizations, and they have really distinct meanings. Right? Like, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about them is the you know the, that they're used to pledge love, to seal correspondence, to authenticate documents. Um, they're tokens of memorialization, of friendship. They honor the dead. You know, so you've got you've got these sort of um, memento mori rings. Um, they're 
in certain cultures they are um they're, they're talisman they're, they're they're possessed of of sort of protective powers they can symbolize power think of think of royal rings the royal signet um think of bishop's ring and the kissing of the of yeah. the bishop's ring so it's all about that they express faith symbolize power um and we also have you know you've talked about we've talked already about signet rings we've talked about you know engagement wings rings wedding rings but there are a whole variety of rings. It's like a classic example of a history of the unexpected. You know, yeah. the whole purpose of what we yeah. do. You know, everyone, I, I just wake up, put my ring on, don't really think about it, or yeah. I actually very, oh, do, very I, rarely I, take I, it off. I never take it off. No. I um, fiddle with it, though. Yes. No, I'm, I do as well. I'm a fiddler. And yeah. um, I... I I, I lost it once, and then I found it again in a gardening glove, and I'd taken hmm. it off when I took my gardening gloves off. Hmm. Um, that gave me a fright. Um, when you got your doctorate, did you get a doctoral ring? No. Uh, did you? No, I didn't. But in Denmark and Sweden... Are people with doctorates. Is that um, like the Super Bowl in America? Uh, I, I imagine it's slightly classier than, <laughs> than the Super Bowl. I'm heading, I'm heading to Sweden next week right. uh, to visit a wonderful friend at the University of Lund, whose his PhD comes from. He's a Swedish PhD, so I shall ask to have a look at his doctoral ring. That's I will take a picture of it and I will I will post it on Twitter for everyone. Good. And everyone, send in your photos, photos yep. of the um, of the jewellery on your hands. Gadget rings. Excellent. What's a gadget Gadget ring? rings, sort of like little spy rings. I'm sure you know. Kind of bombs in it. And stuff. We're sort of we're with secret compasses and yeah. and sort of little tobacco pouches and. I tell um, you where they'll have those. That's at the um, the royal armory. I was thinking. If they were like I was thinking of that. Yes. Yeah. If you weaponize a ring. Yeah. I'm sure you could. How do you read a ring? This is one of one of the big things we you know. This is a podcast that often talks about things and how do we approach yep. things. How do you approach? Say you take a ring like this. Yeah. What's the first thing you do? Well, the first thing I might do is look inside it. Um, so you're so, looking for that's the typical typical historian. You're looking for writing. Yeah, um, and I and have inscriptions. I have my um, uh, the the <laughs> that's not my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that's um, somebody else's ring. Somebody else's ring. I'll be wearing it all my life. Uh, it's no, that's that's the date I was eighteen. Uh. Um, so I'd look inside it. You'd look at um, whether it was it's it's particularly worn. You'd look at what it was made of. Um, size, you, the size, absolutely. You can you can tell um, a great deal from that. I mean, mine's obviously very worn, and you can you can see that it's been loved and cherished and bashed as well. Um, anyway, so just while I'm holding this, what, what, one of the things that that really got me thinking about this is um, I was doing some work on some on two things. One was the Armada, and the other is a early seventeenth century shipwreck in the Caribbean called the Atosha. The Atosha got wrecked in sixteen twenty two. It was a treasure ship coming from. Uh, South America. Hmm. It was how the Spanish funded their empire. So hmm. they had these amazing silver mines, they had emeralds, uh, they had gold, and they were bringing it all across to Spain, funded the economy, and allowed them to build yeah, navies, yeah. among other yeah. things, and armies. Um, so the, the Spanish were, were kind of funded by treasure, extraordinarily. Treasure um, ships. Yeah. We borrowed yeah. money. We we we, yeah. um, we basically mortgaged ourselves up to the hills against the, the value of trade. And our privateers intercepted those and, treasure and ships. stole it all. But yes. um, it's, it's a very interesting different way of, of um mm. of, of funding empires. Mm. One of these ships goes down, um, and then it was it was it was found again by a guy who was who used to be a chicken farmer. <laughs> and he became obsessed <laughs> with this ship and found it. And and you know it made him not in the middle of a chicken field, not in the middle of chicken no. field, no, but off the sea in Florida. But it, it made him you know forty million dollars, very famously. Right. Um, so here's one of those rings. 
Um, they oh, are look at that. absolutely Stunning. exquisite. Is that an emerald in the so middle? It's emerald. Square it, cut. Square cut, large. Th- yeah. Those are not yeah. small emeralds. And, a bling um, ring. It absolutely is. And um, as well as these, these kind of rings, they found sort of emeralds like golf balls in chests. Um, quite extraordinary. Gosh. Um, so th- that one got me thinking about um, what was kind of the association between rings and shipwreck, because it is very strong. There's another one here, and that one's from the Armada. Hmm. Um, along with a lot of other jewellery it has been discovered from wrecks from the Armada. Um, they're all gold. Um, gold can just live under the sea for ages and ages and ages, and nothing happens to it. It's one of the kind of distinctive things about it. It's why it's a hmm. slightly magical thing for maritime archaeologists. Um, this has two hands clasped together, and the inscription, no tengo mas que date. I have nothing left to give you. Hmm. I have been really interested in this because, particularly the Atosha, the I'm sorry, the, the the Girona wreck, which is this Armada one. You get a sense of the the soldiers and the sailors of the Spanish Armada going to their deaths, heavily laden with exquisite jewellery. Um, that, that that matters for two reasons. One is that there, there's a whole kind of shadowy mass of normal sailors who weren't kitted out like this. Yeah. But the the other one is is this idea of sailors wearing wearing finger rings um which is um exceptionally dangerous and quite an odd thing to do mm. um i found a quote um basically i mean if you get your hand trapped or pulled on a bit of rope oh i can imagine um, you can get these horrific injuries um one of them is called uh, it's called a ring avulsion injury and it is um it's known as degloving. Oh, <laughs> you don't have pictures of this, do you? No, I don't no. actually. But um, I can imagine the, like literally pulling all the it strips skin. the skin oh, off your finger and it leaves yikes. it leaves a bone. I've just had a shiver go down my yeah. spine. From Here, that. this is a this is a quote of some 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 poor sod who who um was sailing and hurt his finger. The water was a lot deeper than I thought, or for some reason the anchor didn't bite, so I fed more rope out, and all of a sudden the anchor bedded in, boat moving about five or six knots at this point, and the rope crushed my fingers together and tore the top off my ring. I somehow managed to extract my fingers from the rope. Three fingers on each hand were broken. Needless to say, things went from bad to worse at this stage, as I was single-handed and without the use of either of my hands. My index finger was nearly torn off and had to be operated on to rejoin the bone and repair other internal tissue Yikes. damage. I learned a lot of lessons that day. I bet you did. Um, well, one of which is obviously is you don't wear rings on boats. Um, so this this kind of idea of of, of of rings being dangerous, I've become slightly obsessed with. Hmm. And I've been looking through portraits of um, naval captains, English naval captains, and none of them wear, wear rings. Um, and I reckon that if... You, I, I don't know the answer to this. Naval but, captains wouldn't be up the rigging to kind of... Doing those sort of things, though, would they? Uh, no, but they would have... Even officers would, right. would have been moving around deck and you're near moving right. stuff near all me, the yeah, time. Yeah. Um, I reckon if you went onto one of the English ships, I, I would like to suggest that I don't think an English sailor would be wearing rings on his fingers because of the dangers of having it. So um, I, I think two of the really interesting points about rings is one is found rings, and that's how, how much yeah. of history we learn from rings that have just been discovered in fields or golf courses yeah. or shipwrecks. And two is this idea about rings being dangerous hmm. and, and how that has kind of changed over history. Mm, fascinating. Mm. I want to take rings in a completely different direction. 
and <clears throat> I want to talk about wedding rings, engagement rings, um, the invention of the diamond engagement ring, hmm. which is a relatively um, late phenomenon. What is it? A 20th century phenomenon. I mean, we can trace the wedding ring band, um, which you, know, you give to somebody um, uh, as a sort of indication of, of marriage. The earliest we've got, we can trace back to ancient Egypt. Um, we can also see them in ancient Rome and Greece. And there are various sort of styles. Uh, I've got some examples here uh, from the 16th and 17th century. We've got the fede ring or the, the hand ring here, which we've got an example here from the Victoria and Albert Museum. It's a bit like the, the one we've got it's, here. It's exactly it? like the one yeah. you've got. So it's two clasping hands which provide two, the lock. Two clasping hands which provide, the, which provide the lock. And sometimes these open out so that you have three interconnecting bands that are joined by a by hand, which you can see here. Yeah. We've got two bands there. Or you have the posy ring. That's beautiful. That, I mean, um, that looks like the Lord of the Rings ring. It does. The the the, the one ring to Yeah, to so it's, it's very all. smooth. It's gold and it's got kind yeah. of beautiful calligraphic script yeah. inside it. How do you do that? I mean, the... the Interesting, the manufacturer of rings is, is interesting. I, mean, I have no idea how you engrave the inside of a ring. It's like those people that put the name on a grain of rice. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know. But I mean, the, the, the symbolism here, though, is is the symbolism of the ring suggesting, you know, eternity, it being a circle, and also the, the sort of motto inside it, I think, is, is really telling. Providence divine hath made. Um, and you can collect all sorts of little verses that you see on 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 wedding rings um, from the period. I've got a couple of others here. The Bodleian, uh, not the Bodleian Library, the Ashmolean Library in Oxford has 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 quite a good collection. Love is fixed. I will not range. I like my choice. I will not change. Wit, health, and beauty all do dwell. But constant love doth far excel. That's a hell of a lot to put on the inside on the inside <laughs> of a ring. But it, it's it's really it's really important, and people remember what they put on on wedding rings. Um, I was in the Bodleian a couple of years ago, just just um, working on a book called Family and Materials of Memory, which will will be out in in, in a decade. I think <laughs> it's a very very big project. But just calling up all sorts of random. Um, uh, manuscripts and miscellanies. And there was this one wonderful collection um, connected to Hannibal Baskerville, who is a, a 17th century antiquarian. And he records um, one of his um, godfather's um, sort of lives. And in the, in the life, as he's telling his, as he's telling his life, he, he refers to the godfather's two wives and the inscriptions on their wedding ring. Now, the first wife... Um, is uh, love's life's love is little worth. Uh, her surname was Worth, so it's a sort of pun on that. The second wife uh, is called Constance. Um, constant, be constant, thy life resplendent. But it's this idea. I mean, it's both of them are sort of ridiculous and punning. But it's this sense that you um, that it's it's seen to be worth recording. Um, in fifteen forty nine, in the Book of Common Prayer we see the ring coming into the service with this ring I thee wed, um, which is followed by this gold and silver I give thee. So it's sort of, you know, I think it's about marriage being a sort of a, a, a contract. It's, a, it's, it's almost a sort of, a, a, a sort of an economic um, relationship. The other interesting thing is which, which finger you wear your, yeah. your wedding ring on. Um, do you know the reason why it's the, the fourth finger? On the left hand? No, I do not know why. 
it is supposed to be the heart vein, um, the vein or nerve that leads directly to the heart. So it's associated with, with romance. Henry Swinburne, in a 17th century book on marriage, coins this. So it's deeply... Is it, I wonder, is it actually the heart vein? Is that a made-up vein? Is that what they thought it was? I imagine it isn't. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I imagine it isn't as well. But what a weird... You know, if you're going to work it out and, and reckon that that's what it is, that, yeah. their, their thought process I, behind that would be really interesting. I, There'd I, be a reason for it. I think anatomists have traced a sort of a vein that comes from here mm. and sort of goes... But, but you know, but, but I think it, 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 was, it was deemed to be that before people actually started opening people up and checking where the veins went. Um, I love that, though. I, I, it's, they're not exactly guessing. There would have been some kind of reason based on, on what, on yeah. how they thought the body worked. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The engagement ring, which yeah. is where I was getting the invention of the engagement ring, um, of course, is related to Tiffany's and Tiffany diamonds is relatively modern. Hmm. Um, and it's connected to De Beers in the late 19th century, diamond mines in South Africa, and basically the market was flooded with diamonds and some bright sparks uh, in the US, in New York. So is this New- the 1910s? The ni- uh, this is this is the late 19th century. Oh, right. But, okay. then, but then the market gets flooded, and then in the early 20th century... Um, the you know some ad agency and marketing people, um, you know, were kind of wondering how on earth do we sell this mar- how do, how on earth do we sell all of these diamonds that have flooded the market, and so uh, a New York ad agency N W Ayer uh, basically starts a, a, a marketing campaign to persuade people to buy rings, and I've got an example here um, in in Reader's Digest. Um, which is um, a 1960 De Beers ad in Reader's Digest, which shows a, a woman underneath a, a, a tree lying on the ground with a bling. She's like she's it's like ring. she's stoned with happiness. Is yeah. how I would describe it. She's um, li- just sort quite of literally punning, punning on stoned. 
Um, and they, the size of the engagement ring, particularly in North America, particularly in North America, is incredibly important and is all about status. But what's interesting, I have here, and I apologise uh, for this, for introducing a set of graphs. He's showing me uh, graphs. In here. I'm showing him graphs. But this is, this is absolutely fascinating because what it shows is the way in which um, in diamond engagement rings have spread across the world the fashion for it so it started in the in the US so in 1940 um about 10% of women uh wore diamond engagement rings by 1990 it is over 80% wow of people so it has really spread have a look at this we then move to Japan Japan is slightly behind the curve in 1965 5% yeah. of people wear rings 1995 77 Blimey. percent are wearings. Now, here's the interesting thing. China. You know, we know a lot about the sort of advancement of China. We know a lot about the markets being opened up, you know, and what we see here is is effectively the, the export of this sort of engagement ring culture. 1994, you know, very, very few people are wearing, you know, yeah. engagement rings. We've got about one or two percent here. By 2010, over thirty percent. Ooh, it's coming, so it's, isn't so it? it? So it's coming That's and it's like, rising. And think about the enormous market there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love a good graph. And that's yes. an excellent one. That it's, is uh, an excellent graph. So that's that's really good. Uh, interestingly, when I bought my wife uh, her engagement ring, um, we showed it to a friend. She said, oh, "It's lovely, but it's not an engagement ring." Oh, and I was like, "What a weird thing to say! How disappointing! It's so rude. Yes. It is an engagement. Why, why ring. was it not an engagement because ring? Because she envisaged an engagement ring to be a slim band with a massive diamond on it. Right." I, apparently, I bought I bought Torza a friendship ring. Oh, um, but as far as I'm concerned, it was a engagement ring. And it's, it, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's got jewels all the way around it. But it's how you it's how you associate it's it's people's association with yeah. the diamond engagement ring. Yeah, it was quite a quite a punchy thing to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is actually an engagement ring. Yeah, there was. I remember sitting in the cinema, you know, years ago when there was that um, you'd get that um diamond engagement um ring advert. Which was, you know, how 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 could a, a month's salary last a lifetime? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, right. So look at these. I'm just going to okay. kind of carry on my theme Ooh, of, um, of Sam. Of I know. I know. I, 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 <laughs> should we go back to the graphs because they're, they're much more sanitized? He's showing me pictures of lopped off fingers here. Um, so the one on the right is an X-ray from a World War Two, I think, yeah. soldier who's who's had the tips of his fingers shot off. Ooh. And on the left is a, is a much earlier one. So that's a hand-drawn kind of surgeon's manual on the different types of finger injury you can sustain and how they were dealt with. So one of, one of my points I just want to make very briefly is that whether the injury is caused by rings or not, um, hands are exceptionally difficult to operate on and to and yep. to to kind of actually rebuild and, and to actually make work again if you've injured mm, yourself mm. Um, horrifically. Um, and our understanding of it has dramatically changed um, by warfare. So the First World War, Second World War. Mm. And that's when specialised uh, people who specialised in um, in finger surgery, re really were, were forced to change the way that they worked because there were so many soldiers coming in with um, with, yeah. with damaged hands. It's the same with the with the Iran and Iraq, the Afghanistan and, and Iraq lower limbs, wars, lower yeah. limb injuries, and yeah. the, the medical advancement. Yeah, yeah. So um, rings are you know in that respect, um, you know, t with their association with fingers and finger injury, um, it is all linked to it. But it also makes me wonder what you do if you if you were wearing a ring. 
uh, and you've lost your fingers, and then you 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 then have got nowhere to put your ring. So um, you could necklace. put it on the other hand, or a ne- necklace. necklace so, so, around your neck. Yeah. So that's another yeah. um, thing. Lots of people will wear that if they are. Uh, doing uh, an activity that that is physical that would be dangerous because yep. they're wearing a ring will take it off and wear it around their neck yep. as a, as a necklace. Um. So we've gone from found rings to to the danger of rings, yep. um, and damage. So I just want to sort of uh, kind of flip wrist round the other way and and talk about rings as protection, um, because you can actually yep. there there's a whole history of people wearing rings to protect their hands. And one of the most interesting um, things are these um these. They're they're absolutely beautiful, and I think if if you have any type of of, of ring, these are my favourites. They they are archers' thumb rings ah, um, from Central Asia. Gosh, look at those! Those are exquisite. They are, and they they are made out of they can be made out of leather, stone, horn, wood, bone, ivory, metal, ceramics, a whole variety of things. A lot of them are very uh, jewelled. They are they are pieces of jewellery in their own right, as well as a functional thing. So so it's to do with how uh, the Chinese, uh, Indians, Ottomans fired their bows. So the uh, English used a, a traditional two or three finger draw, yeah. pulling it back. Um, but, but these guys had a thumb ring and they clipped the edge of the... Um, who seem to be practical in a really in a re- protective in a very practical sense rather than in a very, sort of yeah, 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 magical yeah. sense. Um, yeah. And you, you you pull it back and you have your palm down, which is a much more sort of ergonomic way of doing it, and you yeah. just flick your fingers. And it is it's so much more efficient. It is so much more effective. And that is how these all of the um, the Central Asian warriors, the Chinese warriors, uh, Japanese, Korean, Indians, Ottomans, that is how they all fired their bows. But we didn't. We carried on using the technique we used for our longbows hmm. for absolutely centuries. And... Um, so not only is this an idea of a, of a ring being imported protection, but it's also linked to technology. And I think most interestingly of all, it's it's linked to one of these examples of technology that wasn't passed down the Silk Road. So when people write and talk about the Silk Road, so much focus is on things that were passed down the Silk yep. Road, like spices, and paper, the, yeah, printing yeah, presses, yeah, yeah. mathematics, yeah. these kind of a huge flow of cultural exchange. But there's an equally large body of things that weren't yeah and and we still don't really know why we still don't i mean plenty of people knew how they did this and they would have come back but nothing changed whereas in other examples yeah. of cultural differences that things changed so for me mm. that thumb ring opens up a kind of a, a really fascinating historical kind of conundrum which which historians have still not quite worked out yet um, because of this this desire and need to link east with west mm. through cultural exchange through um, these ideas and to, to prove that east w- was influential and west and west was influential east but by no means did everything flow flow no, that way no. and there were there were weird barriers and borders that stopped things yeah. and um, i think that's fascinating so the east meets west is all about the history of rings yeah yeah, brilliant. Or not. East brilliant. doesn't meet West. Brilliant. Well, it does only on the battlefield. Yeah. Brilliant. What's next? Um, well, do you know what? Um, we haven't talked about gloves. <laughs> um, and I'm not, I'm not going to talk about gloves. Um, but gloves came up on Twitter yesterday. Somebody said, how long would it take me to get gloves in to a podcast? Um, especially for you. Uh, I'm thinking about rings and gloves. And one of the things that's always concerned me is, is what do you... We've talked about the wedding ring. We've talked about... Um, and in the past, we've talked about um, you know gender relations in the 
16th and 17th century um, and women's sort of sub subordinate position. So one of the questions that's always struck me is what do women do when they go outside and they're wearing gloves? What do they do with their ring? Do they wear their ring underneath? Interesting. In which case... There, nobody knows whether they're married because one of the reasons that women would have worn a, a wedding ring was to sh show that she wasn't single, that she was somebody else's wife. Um, would she have worn it underneath, in which case it's very difficult to tell, uh, or would she have worn it over the ring? Or would there, in certain cases, you have gloves with slits in them oh. and you can actually see. Anyway, that's a, that's an aside. I wasn't going there. <laughs> I, I, literally off the top of my head now. I want to talk about rings with meaning. Right. Um, so I've got a series of examples here. What do you make of that? Uh, the one on the left or the one on the right? They're the same ring. Oh. That's that's it. That's it open. This is Elizabeth I's locket ring. That's great. Uh, so it's um it's a gold ring, but with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twenty rubies. It's got rubies, it's and got diamonds, diamonds, beautiful and square mother cut. of pearl. Uh it looks very modern. The the dime there's a, there's an E for Elizabeth made out of square cut yeah. diamonds. Yeah. Anyway, it, that that clearly opens up, and inside it is a portrait of, of Elizabeth. Yes. And of her mother. Her mother and Boleyn. Boleyn. Mm. And Boleyn. Aren't you doing something on Henry VIII and love, and in in in, in, in politics in a little bit? We are. I'm doing one of my history masterclasses with Susie Lipscomb. Ah. We are doing Henry VIII in love and war. Well, mm. it's all it's all about rings. Mm. This is about you know um, Henry VIII's second wife here. Um, you know, very, very key stuff. So this is a ring that is now at Chequers. It has been on display at Greenwich uh, National Maritime Museum as part of an exhibition. And it is thought to be the ring that Elizabeth died in. She died wearing, and it was supposedly removed from her finger when she died on the 24th of March, 1603, by Robert Carey. Mm. He then rode to the Scottish border to present it to James VI of Scotland, who then became James VI of Scotland and James I of England. Um, and, yeah, as you see, it's um, Elizabeth here and her mother here. Mm. And, you know, you've got to think about, you know, what, what, is, the, what is the symbolism, the significance of wearing that? You know, she knows all too well the history of her mother. Mm. You know, her mother's tragic fall from power. But so she she's kept it, kept it, worn it. She's kept it, worn it. But she's kept the memory of her mother very, very close. But she's yeah. kept it very, very secret. But it's secret because it's this. Yeah, I think that's the thing that we need to explain. The E sort of the the front of the ring comes off to reveal these tiny little miniature portraits. Yeah, which is very common of, in that of, period of so mother and daughter. Not very, very common, yeah. but it was it was yeah. a, there was a fashion to have, have yeah. these these miniature portraits. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it does kind of it's it fascinating. Up. Yeah. 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 Opens up a window into her history, wondering how, yeah. how and why, yeah. how she thought about that yeah. relationship. I want to move on to look at, a, you know, we're looking at rings with meaning, memento mori and mourning rings. So rings that are designed to commemorate somebody who's died. Um, so a ring that, um, and what we have here is a 17th century ring. We've got a skeleton there, it's a gold ring. You've got a skeleton holding a dagger and an hourglass. And an hourglass. Which but, is but, almost identical to Blackbeard's pirate flag. It is. It is. <laughs> but but what, what's, what's, what's even more interesting is the lock of hair oh, yeah. in it, which, which, you see, which you see behind. So there's sort of this sort of braid of hair um, 
that you can see there. And and, and I think, you know, I, actually that that's something in itself that is is fascinating. Can't remember whether when we did our podcast on hair, whether we looked at hair as a sort of memento mori and we keepsake. Did. We did. Yeah. I think we did. Yeah. yeah. Um, but absolutely, absolutely amazing example. I was rummaging around in the attics in, in Powderham Castle in Devon recently mm-hmm. and came across um, lockets of hair. Um, not in rings, but but tucked in into into little love letters. Um, the final thing that I want to talk about is signet rings. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the what we have here is a very sort of practical use of rings. You know, this is um, we're talking here about a a period pre the envelope. When you, you know, and we've talked about this in the past, when you fold up your your letter, you seal it with wax and you'd seal it with, you know, you have a variety of seals, fob seals, desk seals, um, but people would have had signet rings that they would have worn around with them. So they would be able to authenticate mm. as they as they went. And we've got some really fascinating examples of these that survive. Um, one of the one of the most um one of the most interesting that I've come across is John Donne, the poet John mm-hmm. Donne, uh, late Elizabethan, early Jacobean poet, um, who has a series of of signet rings uh, across his life, a series of seals. He's and got they a, change, and they change according to. So the family, um, the family seal is a sheaf of snakes. There's one with a wolf a rampant. Sheaf of what? A sheaf of snakes a here. Sheaf. A sheaf of snakes. Right. So like a sort of. You know, like a sheaf of corn, except they're snakes. Uh, except they're snakes' heads. It's easily the coolest signet yeah. ring I've ever seen. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful, isn't it? Um, but but when he when he gets ordained, so he gets into all sorts of trouble. He gets ordained. Um, he then his then his signet then changes, and it's Christ crucified on an anchor. Um, wow! So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's to sort of to represent that. Um, so it's about sealing correspondence. It's about authentication it's actually about the the pre-signature yeah brilliant incredible so um, one last one i'm just gonna make i came across this which i adore um it's a 15th century ring but inside it is a roman jewel essentially with, with a carved um, is that a scarab or something in there it's, it's like a scorpion scorpion um mm. and this leads back to my other idea about um rings as protection but this is rings as spiritual protection or as rings ah, as a charm lovely um and uh it was lord of the rings again yeah absolutely this is so this is all to do with um protecting yourself from fever and from poison and all sorts of association between scorpions and water but what i love about this is this link is the ring as a link between past and present. So so the the, the present you have this 15th century uh outside this, this the um you know it's holding it but in the center is something much 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 older. Yeah. And that ring is a wonderful example of 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 how and why people were fascinated with the ancient world in the 15th and the 16th centuries. Uh, and it's exactly the same actually with the Spanish ring I began with at the beginning the the gold and the emerald. Hmm. And um it's 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 why it, you can't just sort of say, "Oh, that's an emerald," and then pass it on. That's actually that that's made by Spanish goldsmiths, but they put a emerald from South America, which is all linked to the wealth of the Aztecs, into their rings. So that is also a fascinating link between past and present, and it also has this kind of strong symbolism of empire yeah. to it, um, just in the way that this does as well, because it's all to do with the 
people using the past as a tool of legitimization. So yeah. they're studying the past, they're linking themselves physically with the past, they're saying this has happened before. In this case, it's Roman. So they're saying in 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 England, the Romans were here, we're going to do what we associate ourselves with this kind of empire building. Uh, and it's it's very similar with, with the Spanish one. Those rings actually talk about the conquistadors, they talk about yeah. um, the, 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 the Spanish conquest of South America. It's also about the quality of craftsmanship, yeah. the fact that you've got that kind of you know those that sort of technology that advanced technology in order to be able to do this which suggests something about this the, the you know the the civilization in which they're living you know the power of it yeah um, well, I mean, I, it, we haven't talked about fairy rings. Fairy or any, rings, any, you know, there are all sorts of things we could have we could have talked about fairy rings and you know all sorts of things. So get in touch with your your stories about rings, and um, if you're at Woodbury Golf Course, there's an emerald and diamond ring somewhere between the third and the seventh hole. Excellent, uh, everyone, hunt for it and um, get in touch. Let us know your stories. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye. Elvis has left the building. <laughs> If you enjoy this podcast and you like learning about the past, check out my latest venture. It's called History Masterclass, and it's a new type of historical event where you can actually learn in person from the best historians around today in unique and stunning historical locations. You can find out more at thehistorymasterclass.com and follow on Facebook and Twitter at thehistorymc.